welcome to the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. I'm Sheila from the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum blog, where we like to talk about how to make marriage a passionate adventure and not just a to-do list. And today, I have an important question for you. What do you think when you hear the word sexy? In July on the blog, I was talking about specific things that we could do to make our sex lives great. But this coming month, I want to talk about how we can re-embrace the term sexy and put it back where it belongs because I think that we have let that word be co-opted to mean something kind of negative when really sexy is okay. Sexy is even good and it is something that we should be feeling. So let's look into this. All right. I think we tend to think the word sexy is the equivalent of the word slutty. So it means a woman who is interested in sex with anybody at any time. And that desire to be sexy is almost about something anonymous. So we're sexy to the world at large. Sexy is about attracting that anonymous stranger. It's how other people view us. When we think of sexy, we think of someone who is dressing in a provocative way so that other people will lust after her. Now, please note, as I have said so many times, I do not believe that you are to blame if someone lusts after you. Okay, that is entirely on them. At the same time, I think that to dress provocatively, deliberately, so that you're trying to get guys to look at certain body parts and trying to get a certain reaction from them is also wrong. Dressing so that you're pretty and looking like you respect yourself and then some guy taking it the wrong way, totally on him, okay? (laughs) But I do think that there is a problem in the world at large with some women dressing in such a way as to try to be deliberately provocative. And so that tends to be how we see sexy. She looks a certain way so that anonymous people, the world out there, wants to have sex with her. Now, there's several problems with that that make the word sexy a very dangerous one. And the first obviously has to do with this idea of promiscuity, right? She's just trying to get other people to want to have sex with her. But second, when we see sexy in that way, then sexy becomes contingent on what other people think of us. So you can't be sexy if anonymous strangers wouldn't want to have sex with you. Sexy is entirely about what other people think. And to go along with that, third, it also makes sex only about the physical. Because if being sexy is going to be about anonymous strangers wanting to have sex with you, well, the only reason that anonymous people, people who don't know you, would want to have sex with you is because of your body. So sex becomes only about the body and not about the relationship. And this whole idea of sexy becomes a very objectifying thing. It's about making a woman into a sexual object for someone else's pleasure. And so no wonder we think of the word sexy as a negative thing. But what if we could reframe it? What if sexy were no longer about what anonymous people thought about us? We're no longer about some score that anonymous people give us, but instead was about our fundamental identity, our fundamental drive, even our relationship 
with our husbands. Okay, that's what I really want to get at in the month of August. And that's what I want to invite us to is this journey to see whether we can reclaim the good things about feeling sexy. So let's go back to first principles. Can you feel sexy if you're single? Can you feel sexy if it's not within a marriage relationship? That's actually something that I've struggled with thinking through quite a bit. And I've struggled with writing about because I do get a lot of single people writing into me saying, do I have a sexuality? Am I allowed to be a sexual being if I'm single? And I'm trying to read more on this to develop a wider sexual ethic because our sexuality is something that we're born with and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, So forgive me if I'm using this podcast to think through some of these issues and process some of these issues myself. I'm a bit of an external processor, so having to speak these things out loud does help me (laughs) because do single people have sexuality in the Christian mindset? I think often we treat them like they're wrong if they do, right? Like single people are supposed to be asexual beings, and then once they get married, they're suddenly supposed to be sexual. But if you're single, you're not supposed to be sexual at all. And that's just, that's not how God made us. Um, That's not realistic. And I think that single people do have sex drives that we often shame them for, which is very problematic. But let's take it even even further than that. There's parts of being sexy that a single person is still going to have. And there's certainly parts of feeling sexy that all married people should have. So let's try to deconstruct some of these things. What are the elements of feeling sexy? Well, I think first and foremost, you feel physically alive, like everything is tingling. You know, you want to be touched. You want to touch or basically you just want to experience with your senses, right? You don't just want to live in your head. I live so much in my head. I'm always thinking about things and and thinking through arguments on a logical level, planning things. And I'm so much in my head. And sometimes I just need to get out of my head and into my senses. You know, God made us to experience the world through our senses. And so often we diminish that and we try to ignore a lot of that. And part of feeling sexy is just to experience, to feel alive again with our senses. That's important. The second part, and this is going to be a little bit hard to explain, I'm still thinking through this, but it's feeling desirable. And by that, I don't mean feeling that strangers desire you. It's not about what other people think, but it's instead that feeling that you are inherently able to be desired. And you can take pleasure in that. Even if no one else specifically desires you, it's that your body, you are made to be inherently able to be desired. And, And a lot of that is just simply enjoying the fact that you have a body with different body parts, different elements. It's enjoying the fact that you have breasts, that you have a vagina, a vulva, whatever, You know, boys are allowed to enjoy that they have a penis. They really are. I I mean, little boys, they play with it. That is one of the problems parents often have is how do you get your kid not to stick his hands down his pants, especially in public. But that penis becomes a part of him because it's outward, because he sees it all the time, because he is encountering it every time he needs to urinate. Um, it's, it's, It's a part of him and that's allowed. But our sexual parts, our erogenous zones are much more hidden. 
And so it's easy to go through life and almost ignore them. You know, you ignore your genitals until you have a period and then they become all icky, right? Uh, you cover your breasts up. You, ignore, you try to ignore them because they're often sources of shame for you. And, and so we don't end up just enjoying the fact that we have certain body parts. You know, you're allowed to enjoy that you have breasts no matter what shape they are. You're allowed to revel in that. And I'm not talking about masturbation or vanity or pride or any of that. I'm talking about fundamentally accepting a part of you and being glad that it's a part of you and enjoying that it's a part of you. I think we need to take some tips from guys here. If you ask a guy, do you enjoy the fact that you have a penis? Every man is going to say absolutely. But for women, it's not as clear cut. And you're allowed to enjoy the fact that you have these sexual parts. I think it's part of feeling female. Being sexy, feeling sexy is really about enjoying your femaleness. Because to say that you are sexy is really about enjoying the fact that you are other than male. God made the sexes different so they would long to be together. And the reason they long to be together is because of that difference. And so to say that you enjoy being sexy is really to say that you enjoy being the other. You enjoy being that being that is other than male so that the male will want to be joined with you. Okay, so it's enjoying being female. And your body parts are all part of that. Um, the things that you enjoy about being a woman are all part of that. And all of us enjoy different things about being a woman. I'm really a girly woman. I like skirts. I like doing my hair. I like doing makeup. I know not everyone's like that. For some of you, what you really enjoy about being female is putting your hair up in a ponytail and putting a ball cap on and just looking really cute and perky when you play baseball, whatever it might be, you know. But that you enjoy being that other, that female. And then I think there's also a part of being sexy that just wants to be taken. I think that's part of what passion is, that desire to be consumed. You know, C.S. Lewis talked in his book, The Four Loves, um, when he was talking about arrows, about lovers wanting to eat each other. And I don't think he meant something X-rated there, okay? I think he just meant that in sex, we ultimately do try to possess the other person. We want to be less only me less alone in the world and more joined. And for women, that often manifests itself in this urge to be taken. And you can feel all of those things. Those things are okay. And what I want to do is to reclaim that word sexy and show us how it can be part of our sexual confidence. Because I think that's so important in marriage. It's also important if you're single. It really is. It's okay. But it's especially important when we're married. You know, I said something in my post last week which got very little attention, and I actually thought it was something important. It's funny because looking at the comments counts on my posts from last week, I had 20 comments on my post after I was back from England. I had 24 comments on the podcast about the purity culture. I had 129 on whether you can be blamed if your husband cheats on you. No, you can't. Uh, but only I only had three on my post about how to sink your libidos, where I was giving some pretty graphic advice on how to feel sexy. Okay, a little bit of a sidebar here. 
I actually love when people comment. Please comment. It makes me feel like people are reading and listening and are getting something out of the blog. People used to comment on the blog a lot more a few years ago, uh, even though I have more readers now, and it's kind of a funny dynamic. Um, I know that a lot of guys especially used to leave toxic comments, and I think that that may have driven some commenters away, and I am really sorry about that. I try to monitor more now and let fewer through if they're abusive, but I do love it when people comment, and I feel as if I, I get to know some of you. You know, Lydia, Kay, Phil, Arwen, Becky, Misty, Nate, uh, Sheep Alkai, and so many more. And I'm sorry if I've left some of you out, but I really do feel like I get to know a lot of you. Uh, So just please comment. Okay, end of sidebar, end of sidebar. But here's what I said in that post that nobody commented on. I was talking about how we can raise our libidos or just start thinking sexy thoughts, even if we don't feel particularly in the mood. And one of my points was this. It wasn't my only point, but one of them was this. Enjoy being naked. Don't worry. I'm not going to encourage any of you to be nudists or anything. But sometimes we need to awaken different parts of our bodies to feel sexual. If you know that your husband's libido is raging and you just don't feel much of anything, try this. Take time in the evening to have a bath, and while you're lying there, close your eyes and just think about all the different parts of your body. Start at your fingers and work your way up your arms, across your chest, and then down. It's okay to imagine your husband touching those parts, or imagining what he may feel if he looked at various parts of your body. If you don't have time for a bath, head somewhere with a mirror, get undressed and get some lotion and rub some on your legs or your torso or spritz yourself with some spray. Do it slowly and just allow yourself to feel. That's where we get those senses coming in again. It really is okay. Honestly, it doesn't mean you're being bad. It's just enjoying the fact that you were made to be a sexual being. Think of it as your body wake-up time. And then, once you've done that, take some time and pick out something really pretty to put on. If you do this before you get into bed, you'll often find that you're far more eager for something else. When you're going through a particularly dry time, when you don't feel much of anything sexual, try that bath exercise often. Lie there. Take some time and just feel. And remember that part of passion is learning to let go of rational thought and just experience life. Allow yourself to experience because you were created for that. This month in August, we're going to be talking about how to reclaim the word sexy, which I really think is about how to reclaim sexual confidence. It's part of being proud that you're female. And it's hard to be proud of that, I know, when women are treated badly. And if abuse is part of your story, it's so hard to do that. It's so hard to be vulnerable. But it is important. And it isn't linked only to marriage. But once you are married, I just recommend practicing sexy. Spend time concentrating on your body. Be proud of your body and enjoy your body. As we enter into August, I hope to continue this conversation even more. So leave me a comment, okay? Help me process through some of this too. What stops you from feeling sexy? Let's talk about this more. And you can leave comments by following the link in the podcast description to the post on my blog where I'm talking about this podcast. I often put in extra links there so you can go on little rabbit trails and more thoughts that I've had. So head on over to that blog post and leave me a comment. What do you struggle with when it comes to the word sexy and how can we re-embrace it? because I would love to develop this more in the month that's coming up. Most women think that if they're not raring to go, then they must not be in the mood. 
But what if I told you that libido for women doesn't tend to act like that? If we stop waiting for our bodies to tell us, I'm ready to go, and start learning to think differently about libido and read our bodies differently, suddenly everything in the bedroom can fall into place. Check out my Boost Your Libido course to help warm you up. Find it under courses at tolovehonorandvacuum.com. Welcome to Millennial Marriage. I have my resident millennial wife with me, my daughter, Rebecca. Say hi, Becca. Hello. <laughs> and we're going to talk about something awkward today because like we never do that. No, never. We Never. Yep, yeah, we always keep it incredibly non-awkward in our mother-daughter relationship. Yes. <laughs> so let's talk lingerie. <laughs> let's. Because, you know, in this podcast, I've been trying to encourage women to feel to let themselves feel sexy and to let themselves feel like I am a sexual being. I enjoy my body, which is a weird thing for a lot of women to feel. Um, And so that has implications for what we wear. Yeah, it does. And I think that a lot of the times what I see from the comments and the emails and the questions that we get a lot on the blog are these women who they really want to feel at the end of the day, like they're ready for their husbands. Like the kids are in bed, they've got nothing to do for an hour and a half but snuggle or do whatever they want. And she's like, I just, I want to feel like a woman, but I just feel tired or kind of sweaty or kind of run down. And all I want to do is eat popcorn on the couch while I watch Netflix. Right. You know, but it's not that you don't want to feel excited for your husband. Or you don't want to feel romantic. It's just really sometimes hard to get there. Yeah, it's hard to make that transition. It is. And I think that we can do little things sometimes to kind of trick our brains to make it easier to transition. But we don't do those things. And I think lingerie is one of those those conversations that we've been kind of doing in a way that makes it actually a bit harder to transition because it has to be this big event. Like, okay, and now I need to curl my hair and put on makeup and get into this little thing that takes me about five minutes to even figure out how to get on. And it's going to take all of 30 seconds to get off. Yeah. And it, it becomes this big event. And so you're sitting there and you're wearing the your t-shirt and yoga pants from the day where the kids got applesauce on it. And you have to get a shower and you've been working all day already. And... It's just another thing to do. Right. And then by the end of it, you still got to get back into your pajamas, get ready for bed, take off your makeup, put <laughs> yeah. your hair up. Like, it's, it's just, it's, it's making know. it even harder because, for these poor women. Yeah, because those little sexy teddy things, you can't necessarily sleep in them because, okay, like, to be totally honest, you know, the ones where, like, they've, they've got, they've got your, your girls as they call them and whatnot to wear whatever you want to call them right like they're kind of hiding them but they're not really and so if you're lying in bed and you roll over the girls just fall right out like yeah exactly (laughs) or they have a lot of underwire or something and so you just can't sleep in it because you're gonna get poked yeah, because it's, it's one of two extremes. Either they're really, really super tight, so they're uncomfortable, or else they're so flimsy that you can't roll around in them. Like, you just can't sleep in them. So Exactly. They're only meant for you to wear them for 30 seconds for someone to look at you. And that becomes like an extra thing to do just like you said like like we all might have that lingerie drawer of stuff that you're supposed to pull out on your anniversary or whatever but we don't wear it normally because it's just not practical (laughs) well and also the reality is if you do have kids around the house or if someone does come to the door or something you can't just throw a house coat over top of like 
something that's just lacing. I'm sorry, but you can see the entire nipple through it. Yeah. You just yeah. you just can't. Like the problem is we have these pieces that you really can't just wear. You need to put them on for a show. Mm-hmm. And I guess what we wanted to talk about is how we can change how we see lingerie and in doing so we can actually create almost like a bedtime wardrobe that makes you feel like a woman. Mm-hmm. Like a grown-up, classy, elegant woman that's actually wearable, but is mm-hmm. still really sexy. And it's not the big ratty t-shirt and, you know, the gym shorts with the hole in the butt that's that right. we wear to bed. Oh, 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 I have a story. Okay, so when we were in England... Katie had bought this dress. My daughter Katie had bought this dress to wear when we went to High Clear Castle, which is where they filmed Down Abbey. And the dress was amazing, but she forgot a slip. And it was this light yellow dress. And without a slip, you can totally see her underwear. Okay. Now, this is quite a common issue. I mean, this is not an uncommon problem. Well, and people. to be fair, being able to see your underwear through is almost like a fashion statement a lot right. of the time. But, but a lot of us don't actually want people to be able to read like our <laughs> underwear label size through our dress. Like, it's just, it's just awkward, right? And so we figured that we would go get a slip. Now, when I was younger... Okay, when okay, and this just shows my age, I suppose. But slips were common; like everybody had slips. You needed a slip. It was so that when you were wearing nylons and when you were wearing a dress, if you didn't have a slip, the the dress would rub against the nylons and it wouldn't hang properly. So you needed a slip just to get your dress to hang properly. I guess that's not as much of an issue now that people don't wear nylons, but it was a big issue. Okay, <laughs> so slips were everywhere and. You know, when you watch like those 60s movies or show and and you have that that gorgeous vintage, like we think of it as vintage now, like just underwear, like normal everyday underwear with these lovely full length slips, you know, that would go over your bra and then go under a dress. And they're actually they're very pretty. You know, they've got the lace, but they're full length or the half slips, which is what I used to wear. Um, And so we went out hunting for a slip. And do you think we could find one? Like we went into so many stores, we finally found one in Marks and Spencer. Okay, Marks and Spencer had this entire floor dedicated to lingerie and only one tiny rack had slips. Like they just don't sell them anymore. So they don't sell like that practical underwear that was actually quite pretty that everybody used to wear in the Mm -hmm. 40s 50s and 60s like when you look back at some of the stuff that women would wear in the 40s 50s and 60s like you actually felt like a woman yeah you know now I'm all for comfort okay like I am totally for comfort and I'm not I'm not trying to say that we should all wear uncomfortable stuff but you can be comfortable and still feel like a woman and I think exactly. that's what we've forgotten without feeling like a stripper because it's like there's two, we've almost created these two different ends of the spectrum where you're either in the ugly t-shirt and sweatpants or you're in this tiny piece of lingerie that makes you feel like a stripper that is totally impractical. And there has to be some middle ground. Exactly. Especially since a lot of the stuff that's kind of popular in lingerie stores these days, it does seem like it's tailored more towards the 18, 19, 20 year old woman. And not necessarily the one in their 30s or 40s or 50s, right? Like, yeah. I mean, even me, I'm 24 now, and I'm, I've am i only been married for a couple of years. But even I go into a lot of these stores, and I'm just like, ah, I just want to feel like a grown-up, not like a 19-year-old who's just out there at college for the first time exploring. Yeah. Like, and and there, there is a different feeling with a lot of these things. Now, obviously... There's nothing wrong with having some of those pieces that are just, you know, for the the quick 
like, hey, honey, bet you weren't expecting this, you know, or the anniversary or the birthdays or like, they're fun. You know, you can feel like dressed up. You can try something you normally wouldn't wear. Like it's, it's just fun. And that's part of the freedom that you have in marriage when it comes to sexuality. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, what we're talking about is how do we get out of that rut of feeling like sex is just one huge to-do list, one huge mountain of another thing that just takes so much more of your time. And I think part of the thing that can help is just getting into this mindset of finding pieces you can wear on a regular basis that are really pretty and make you feel like a woman who is elegant and classy and sexy, but are actually wearable and are just as comfortable as like those flannel PJs or as that t-shirt and shorts. Because honestly, you can find those pieces. There's a lot of nightgowns out there right now, even at like the, the chain lingerie stores that you'll find in average malls. Mm -hmm. that are made from, like, cotton, that are really nicely tailored and have much more of, like, a vintage look Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Or if you're not really into the whole girly vintage thing, you can get some really cute night shirts, too, Mm -hmm. where, like, it's, it's much more of the, like, good for, like, athletic build or if you like to have more of a kind of structured kind of look. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of options right now of clothes that are not that expensive as well that are quite wearable like they just look like a normal little nightgown they don't and they're 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 soft they're comfy you can sleep in them nothing pops out like it it works but it might accentuate the things that could pop out exactly (laughs) you know which is kind of nice so yeah i would just say like like it's okay to buy nice pajamas you know Mm -hmm. you spend think about it you spend more time in your pajamas than you do in your clothes. Like most of us don't have more than five or six sets of pajamas. I mean, maybe we do, but I have three. (laughs) Right now. So that means that you wear them a third of the time. Yeah. How many other pieces of clothing do you wear a third of your life? Right. Exactly. (laughs) Like this is, this is good. So buy, buy stuff that is just going to make you feel more like a woman. All right. Exactly. You don't want want anything to pop out. You don't want to feel like you can't roll over or you're not comfortable when you're sleeping. Okay. (laughs) So it has to be something that is easy and that is still comfortable, but that does make you feel like a woman. And I think investing in that stuff is worth it. I think so too. Since I got married, whenever I go to, you know, any sort of bachelorette party where there's a lingerie shower or anything like that for any of my friends, I always tend to get them two pieces now. Whereas before I got married, I'd only get one. So I used to just get something that was like super sexy. So it's like, hey, you finally get to do this, right? It's all exciting. But now I tend to get them one piece. It's kind of, it's the anniversary or the, the, hey, honey, (laughs) like so happy you're home kind of piece. Right. But then we, I also try to get them a pajama set, like whether it's a nightgown and a, and a robe or a shorts and tank top and a robe that's mm-hmm. really feminine, really comfy, completely wearable, but that is also really pretty. And you would not believe how many people come back to me and say, yeah, no, I wear it all the time. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's so nice because it's just nice to be able to feel like a woman. Even if you're in the middle of exam season, if you're younger in your marriage, or even if you're in the middle of toddler years, if, mm-hmm. or even if you're in the middle of, you know, the middle of a, a stressful period at work, when, yeah, it would be easier to put on sweatpants and t-shirt, but mm-hmm. it's actually, well, it's not even really easier just to throw on tank tops and shorts, but it's just, it's just so much nicer to be able to have something where 
yeah, you just feel feminine and pretty. And then the idea of having sex isn't as much of a show. Like, you don't need the makeup and the hair done and everything because it, it's it's much more of a natural look, too. Like, it's not meant to be this whole pinup girl kind of aesthetic, necessarily. Right. Right? It's just like, no, this is just who you are. It's just you in your little nightgown or a little tank top and short set sitting on the couch looking all cute, sipping your tea when your husband comes over and is like, hey, you look really pretty. And then you can just go for it. You don't have to do a whole thing to get up, to get ready. You know, yeah. it just it's a very different feel, I think. Some parents say all teenagers go off the rails. Teenage rebellion is inevitable. Or is it? I say it's not. I'm Rebecca Gregoire Lindenbach, and I never rebelled. I spent five months talking to millennials, hearing their stories, to discover why they didn't rebel either. And the answers weren't what I was expecting. Check out my book, Why I Didn't Rebel, to find out why your kids don't need to be there. I want to tackle a reader question, and this one comes from a previous podcast where we were talking about how singles need to prioritize dating if marriage is important to them. A woman asks, you talk a lot on your blogs and videos that there are a lot of good Christian guys out there and that one should be proactive in trying to meet someone. The problem that I have with your advice is what if you belong to a particular religious denomination that comes with some pretty specific lifestyle choices that make dating outside your denomination difficult? Then, if there aren't eligible bachelors in your church or the churches in your area or no one with whom you have a mutual attraction, how do you ever get married? And don't just say online because it doesn't work for everyone. A lot of the advice I've been given says to church hop or go on young adult-oriented mission trips or Bible conferences, but my experience is been that either there isn't time to connect with someone there or people just stick with their groups of friends. My generation just seemed so disconnected after college. Last year, I attended a large church with over 20 people near my age, but getting them to show up, even for young adult-oriented events, was a challenge. Also, it's been my experience that there are three single girls regularly attending church for every single guy. I keep hearing that either I need to try harder or that I need to be patient and wait on God's timing. Am I missing something crucial? I think next time before you tell your subscribers to let this guy go or there's plenty of guys out there, maybe you have an unrealistic perception of the prevalence of eligible godly men under the age of 40. Okay, first of all, I just want to say I am really sorry it is so hard to get married and I feel so badly for people who are single, especially if they're getting into their late 20s, into their 30s, even into their 40s when they desperately want to get married. I've never been in that situation um, so I, I only remember what it felt like when I was young in that situation, and I just have a lot of sympathy and compassion. I really do. When it's something that is just so heavy on your heart and something that you want so much and it isn't happening, that's really, really rough. But I do want to pick up a couple of things that she said in her letter. First, she says... What if you belong to a particular religious denomination that comes with some pretty specific lifestyle choices that make dating outside your denomination difficult? Okay, if you belong to a particular religious denomination that does have lifestyle choices that make dating someone else difficult, maybe you need to reconsider your denomination. I mean, I know that's rough to say and everything, but if you are totally committed to your denomination and your denomination is making it really difficult to get married, then I think you need to be at peace with the fact that you won't get married. And I, I don't mean to be flippant about that, but if you're saying, I need to stay in this denomination and so why aren't I married, even though the denomination is making it really hard for me to get married, 
Well, that's kind of a choice you're making. And the thing is, every choice that we make does have repercussions. If you're going to make a choice, you are also choosing to live with the consequences of that choice. I guess what I would say is that as I'm getting older, I am realizing how narrow my view of Christianity was when I was 20 and 22 and 24 and even 32 and how different I see it now. There are so many people who still believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that still believe that salvation is found in Jesus alone, and that still believe that you need to read your Bible and live out the Bible and memorize the Bible and all of that stuff, who don't necessarily go to super fundamentalist conservative churches. If you are in a very fundamentalist uh, church and you enjoy it, that's wonderful and that's good, but... There are other people who know Jesus outside of that church. And so if you are going to limit your view of Jesus to that particular denomination, and if you are really, really committed to that particular denomination, and if that denomination makes it hard to get married, then that's kind of your choice. And again, I'm not trying to be flippant. I'm just saying if your denomination is holding you back, I really think it's okay to look outside. And I think sometimes that does us a lot of good to see some different expressions of of Jesus. I found even just traveling and on missions trips, it's been wonderful to see how other people worship. It's brought me closer to God, not further away from God. And it's helped me figure out what I think, too. So it's not a bad thing to expose yourself to other things. Um, And sometimes as you're married, you know, my husband's and my beliefs have changed a lot in the last 15 years. Now, they've changed in the same direction, not always at the same time or at the same pace. But we still consider ourselves completely committed Orthodox Christians, but we don't have the same church experience that we did when we first got married. And so if your church is holding you back, I think it's okay to think about another church. She then says that a lot of young people just don't get involved in church, which is completely true. And I'm sorry about that. And she also says it seems like there's three eligible girls for every eligible guy. Again, I also think that's very true. That's one of the things we were talking about on the podcast the other week is that there just simply are more single Christian women than there are single Christian men. A couple of people got upset at us for saying that, but that's just statistically true. And I I don't think it helps anybody if we shy away from that. And so I guess I would just say if if the people aren't coming out to church, you just need to be proactive. I would tell all of your married friends that you are interested in dating. A lot of married friends have single siblings. They have single people that they know from their church. They have friends that are single. And a lot of married people would love to set other people up. So tell your married friends that you're interested. Start hosting dinner parties. Invite groups over. You know, the more friends you make, even if they're not single or even if they're not someone you'd be interested in marrying, you expand your social group. And the way that we tend to meet someone to marry is from our social group. So the more that you can be proactive in expanding your social group, the better. She then says one more thing I just want to comment on. The next time that I tell my subscribers to let this guy go, or there's plenty of guys out there, I should rethink it. I don't think I've ever said there's plenty of guys out there. I have said let this guy go quite frequently. I'm pretty sure I haven't said there's plenty of guys out there because I actually don't believe that. I know that there's a lot more single Christian women. But I have said that it's important not to marry someone with bad character and that character really does matter. And I firmly believe that. I know when you're single, it can seem like you would rather be married than anything else. And so you just are willing to find someone to marry, even if they don't 
necessarily match all of the things that you have in mind for what you want in a husband. And I get that. And I think we do need to let a lot of things go, a lot of the superficial things. But we should never let character things go. Believe me, the number of emails I get from women who married guys with poor characters because the women thought they weren't worth anything else or they thought they'll never meet anyone else or he was just simply the only one who ever asked them. It is better to be single than in a marriage where you're married to someone with really bad character who's abusive or who doesn't work or who watches pornography all the time and ignores you or whatever it might be. And that may seem flippant if you really want to get married, but I, I firmly do believe that after all of the emails I've seen. So, you know, that's what I would just say. Look outside your denomination if you have to. Expand your social group as much as you can. But then please still still worry about character because as much as you want to get married, there are more important things in life. There really are. And I think the more that we expand our social circle, the more um, that we fill our lives up with good things, with godly things, the more God is going to help us feel complete even if we aren't married. On the podcast, I like to highlight a different comment that's been left either through social media or on the blog that I found particularly insightful. And this week's is from one of my favorite commenters, Lydia. Uh, Lydia is someone that I want to meet in real life because she lives in a cool place and also because she's kind of a cool person. But she commented on my post this week about five weird shows to watch that will make you better people when I mentioned Super Nanny. And here's what she said about Super Nanny. I watched quite a few of the Super Nanny episodes after your blog post about it, and honestly, I didn't like her approach to discipline at all. She had some good stuff, like routines and doing fun things with the kids to make sure that you give them positive attention. But the naughty chair and the rewards charts are behavior modification techniques that might appear to work, but I would caution against those being the foundation for discipline, especially as Christians. For us, discipline is linked to discipleship and to walk alongside our kids and showing them God's character through our own actions and behavior to them. The reward system and the praise, when overdone or done thoughtlessly, is actually counterproductive to intrinsic motivation, which is something we should protect for our kids. I think the main issue that I have with the show is that it shows extreme messed up family dynamics and fixes those, which looks quite different than raising kids from the start with a proper focus on meeting their needs and nurturing them, which will prevent many of the disruptive behaviors from the show from the beginning. And I just want to say that I completely agree with Lydia. I love Super Nanny. My husband is a pediatrician and he does a lot of appointments for behavior problems in kids. And he's often recommending that people watch Super Nanny just because she t- she walks into a family where things are really in crisis and she does show you what to do to stop the crisis. And so much of what she focuses on is how to give kids positive attention and how to just interact with your kids. I'm amazed at how many parents go through the day and they don't actually interact with their children. They may think they are because they're bathing their kids or they're feeding their kids, but they don't spend time reading to them or talking to them and kids need that attention. So I I do agree that Super Nanny is far more focused on dealing with things when they've gotten out of hand. But, and this is where I just want to point out Lydia's wisdom here, if you raise kids properly from the very beginning, a lot of those techniques are not necessary. And I really do agree. We hardly ever use timeouts. I remember doing it with Katie when she was in her twos and threes quite a bit. But other than that, we really didn't. We did consequences that were more related to what was going on. So if they were fighting with a toy, we got rid of the toy. 
if they were dawdling, we just didn't do the fun thing that I was going to take them to do, you know, all that kind of thing. But we didn't use these big um, behavior modification things very much. We just more interacted with them and talked to them. Uh, and I want to point out something too. When Rebecca wrote her book, Why I Didn't Rebel, she interviewed a ton of millennials on the parenting practices that their parents had used. And she was looking for commonalities among these kids to see what parenting practices really helped kids stay on the straight and narrow and embrace the faith. And one of the funny things that she found was that among teenagers who didn't rebel, if you ask them later, what rules did your family have when you were a teen, very few of them could mention any hard and fast rules. Like they would hem and haw and they would say, well, I guess we had a curfew, but I'm not really sure. And Rebecca would have said the same thing. You know, we, we didn't have rules per se. And even some of the rules that we did think we had, we often relaxed or we'd talk about them. It was really more about just doing life with your kids, talking to your kids, having them develop a lot of the same morals that we had. In many cases, our kids had higher standards than we did. I mean, they had higher standards about what movies to watch than we did quite often. And so that's really true. When you do things properly from the beginning, a lot of these techniques are not actually necessary. But if things have really blown up, I think these techniques can really help. So Super Dan is just a fun one to watch with your family, to see other families that are out of control, and to talk about how things got off the rails. And I think that's a good conversation to have with your kids. But it's far more important as a parent just to do things well from the beginning, to build that relationship, to not focus on breaking your child's spirit or on trying to force them to do what you want them to do, but instead to just spend time with them, to give them positive attention, and to model what proper behavior looks like. And in, in most cases, kids will actually pick up on that. Thanks for joining us on the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. Again, I so appreciate my commenters and all the questions that help challenge me and help me think more deeply about a lot of these things. Please join me on the blog at tolovehonorandvacuum.com where there's a longer post on this podcast with lots of links, plus, of course, all my regular posts. And join us in August for this challenge to rediscover sexy. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and rate it five stars so that others can come and find marriage advice from a Christian perspective, which tries to shy away from pat answers because marriage is not just about rules it's supposed to be a passionate adventure